your Bibles and have it open to Acts 22. So we continue our study of the book of Acts. I will say that after last week, I apologize to, for insulting this congregation and say that none of you knew how to throw a baseball or a softball because you dunked me quite repeatedly. Uh, I can't believe the very first kid, I, can't, I don't know his name. I would like someone to tell me that kid's name. Very first kid, very first throw, hit it and dunked me. I had, a, I had a yellow pad. I was working on my sermon. I was popping off and I went down. And because I was popping off with my sarcasm and mocking, I drank half of that tank of water. <laughs> After being dunked probably for the 15th time or so, I started to question my belief in believer's baptism by immersion. I'd rather sprinkle people anyway. It's a different issue. It's interesting we come into the book of Acts with uh, sort of a new period in the book of Acts. Up until uh, these chapters, uh, particularly chapters 21 and 22, uh, we now move into where the missionary journeys of Paul are, are ceasing. They're coming to an end. And now, you know, from Acts 21 or so, 22 to the end of the book, what we have now are sort of the, the prison and defense part of the book of Acts. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. We're gonna, he's going to deal with uh, being imprisoned. He's going to deal with having to defend himself between various authorities. And all of this will take place as he goes from Jerusalem back to Rome. Now, what's interesting about these defense sort of prison proclamations that Paul makes is there are actually more words given to Paul's defense of his ministry than to all of the other accounts of his preaching in the missionary journals. And in fact, a good portion, about 25% of the book of Acts, is directly related to these defenses that Paul makes in front of the secular authorities. And what you see throughout uh, these uh, defense, uh, sort of uh, defenses that Paul makes of himself, of his ministry, is that Paul is trying to show, in some cases, that what he is preaching is a continuation of the Old Testament. That there's not this uh, discontinuity between the message of the Old Testament and the gospel of Jesus that he's presenting in order to defend himself against uh, those who would uh, hold on to the Jewish faith and felt that Paul was blaspheming. On the other hand, he is also having to talk to Roman authorities in order to try to show that while the kingdom of Jesus Christ is antithetical to every worldly kingdom, it does not represent an actual threat to the Roman Empire as well. And so it's fascinating to see Paul give these kind of narratives that actually take up a significant portion of the book of Acts. And actually Luke believes that these are incredibly important. And yet I would dare say oftentimes these, this is the part of Acts that we are less familiar with. And so as Luke is working these narratives through for us... If you remember back in Luke, which was his first volume written to Theophilus, uh, and the book of Acts is the, the continuation of that first work, the, the, the book of Acts, I think what he's attempting to do is to show, again, as we've mentioned before, is that Jesus' work 
is being continued in the church by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish uh, the work of the ascended Jesus, which is to unite all things under his authority as he is seated at the right hand of God. And so we come to Acts uh, 22 to see his defense. And just to give you a little bit more background, and then we'll dive into the text. If you go back to verse 27 of Acts 21, you'll see the problem. This is why Paul is going to be in front of the people, and he's going to be arrested at the temple. Verse 27 of Acts 21 when the seven days were almost completed, this was Paul had taken a vow in order to demonstrate to, uh, to Jewish people that he was not sort of undermining the entire law of Moses. And he had taken this vow with others. The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who was teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. The accusation against Paul is that he's preaching against the law of Moses. He's preaching against the temple and against the Jewish people. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple, which would have been a capital offense, into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously in Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, Paul had not brought him into the temple. That would have been a capital offense. There were plenty of of signs around uh, sort of the outer court of the temple that said Gentiles can go here, but no further. And now they've arrested him. The authorities have been brought in. The tribune has tried to protect him. And we pick up the story in verse 37. Paul was about to be brought into the barracks. He said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the, and then, and then the, the tribune says, are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out in the wilderness? The tribune thinks that Paul is up to no good. He's part of this Egyptian insurrectionist. But Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a city of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and there... It's a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language, and now his defense. He probably addresses them in Aramaic. You'll see the note in the ESV. That's probably correct. And so now there's a hush on the people. He's speaking to these uh, Jewish crowd that it's upset, believing that Paul has brought a Gentile into the temple area. They believe that he's speaking against the law of Moses. And now Paul is going to give a defense He's going to give a personal testimony of how he came to faith, and he's going to try to show that his message is consistent with the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. He's going to describe how the mission he has to the Gentiles, which is so offensive to these Jewish people, is all part of God's plan that God has directed Paul himself to accomplish. Now, there's three parts to uh, Paul's testimony, and I want to share that with you. I think we need to see that. But I also think it, it, it does sort of, uh, it, it sort of becomes a model for the personal testimonies that we ought to be able to share. 
In a very short amount of time, Paul is going to address this crowd who's hostile to him. In a very short number of sentences, he's going to be able to show them how God brought him to Jesus. I think it's an interesting question to say, could you give something like this that's consistent with your story? And be able to share that succinctly, clearly, compellingly, your narrative of how God brought you to himself. So let's look at the three parts of this defense that Paul makes. And the first uh, part of his defense is, you would title it, uh, Paul would say, my life before I came to Jesus. This is in verse 3 to 5. He begins his defense by saying, I am a Jew. I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Notice that Paul is saying his exact story. He's reminding them that he himself is a Jew. He's reminding them that he stuttered under Gamaliel. He's letting them know that I was just as zealous for the law as you are. And then in verse 4, he begins to describe what his life was like before he met Jesus. He says, I persecuted this way talking about those who followed the gospel of Jesus Christ, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished." What Paul does in a very short number of sentences is he narrates what his life was like before he he met Jesus. He was a Jew. He was zealous for the law. He was taught under Gamaliel. He persecuted those who followed the way of Jesus, the way of the gospel. To the death, he says, he imprisoned people. He was working under the direction of the high priest. He was on his way to Damascus to take more prisoners of those who had uh, turned their hearts towards Jesus, bring them back under prison guard to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul is effectively, I think, clearly, accurately giving his own story about what his life was like before he came to Jesus. And I think it would do all of us who know Jesus well to figure out what we would say in a few sentences, okay? I know for me, I I came to faith at an early age, I was always disappointed that I didn't have a story like Paul. I mean, that's a cool story, right? He persecuted people. I mean, that's, that's neat. I always wish I had a story. I remember growing up, I heard a lot of stories. I came to faith at a very early age, but I wanted to have a better story. I remember people would share their testimonies at church, and we had some very colorful stories at the church I was growing up in. And so I wanted to change my story to this. I grew up in the neighborhood. I got involved with some wrong crowd. I became selling drugs in the neighborhood. I became a drug kingpin multi-million dollar drug business. I drove around in a Maserati, and then when I was six, I came to faith in Jesus. That wasn't my story. 
Paul's got a good story, but I, I think we fail to understand that all of our stories, no matter how mundane, maybe you weren't persecuting Christians, putting them in jail and putting them to the death, but all of our stories are actually supernatural because apart from Christ, we never would have come to him. And so our life before we came to Christ, as mundane as you think it might be, is critical to tell other people about. I wasn't a drug kingpin, but I was, I was not a good kid. I've told you stories about my upbringing. I'm not sure you've all heard these stories. I was a kid who did not want to be told what to do. I didn't want my parents to tell me what to do. I didn't want teachers telling me what to do. I didn't want God to tell me what to do. And I grew up in a Christian home. One Christmas, which is before I trusted Christ, although this could have happened after I trusted Christ, given my, how much God had to work, you know, how little God had to work with, I poured my grandmother's Christmas present down the toilet on Christmas Day. It was cologne. She had disciplined me. That was her problem. That was her mistake. I got in the bathroom, I locked the door, and I yelled out, I'm going to pour your perfume down the toilet. So they were trying to break into the bathroom. Meanwhile, I was pouring it down. They broke in and I was going, ha, 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 I was a bad kid. My granddad promised to take me to Spring Lake, which in Oklahoma City was our version of Disney World. It wasn't very good, but it was Spring Lake. We were on our way to Spring Lake. My sister got sick, visibly sick in the car. We had to turn around. I told my grandfather, you promised to take me, and you didn't, there was no exclusion clause about whether or not my sister was well enough to go. You need to take me. You're not going to take me? Okay. He was a carpenter. I hid his tools, as many tools as I could take into the woods, hid his tools and told him, you'll never see your tools until you take me to Spring Lake. This is a domestic terrorist. That was my story. Yeah, I wasn't a drug kingpin. I wasn't Paul, you know, persecuting Christians. But all of us have a story of what our life was like before we met Christ. And it's important to be able to articulate that to people. That's what Saul does. It's interesting. He doesn't go into a lot of esoteric discussions of all kinds of things. He simply tells the story of how God brought him to himself. And it starts with a person, Paul, who was zealous for God, who was zealous for the law of God, persecuting people who were following Jesus. That's how it starts. My life before I came to Jesus. What's your story? Can you articulate that in a few sentences? In other words, who did you trust before you came to Christ? How did you think you were getting right with God? How did that affect your own behaviors to those around you? What were you doing and attempting to get right with God? That's a very important part of your story, and that's what Paul does as he tries to defend himself from the charges of the crowd. Well, that's the first piece of his testimony. The second part of his testimony is my life as I came to Jesus. This is with verse 6 to 16. Let's just walk through this. I was always on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon. A great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. This is Saul, now Paul, speaking. He's on his way to Damascus to arrest the believers, those who followed the way. This light appears. 
I fall to the ground, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. What Paul simply relates as part of his defense is simply to describe what God did to drive him to Jesus. What did God do? And of course, Jesus is sort of, uh, he's confronted with this Jesus. This Jesus who he's persecuting. Verse 9, now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Interesting story. He came to bind people and, and, and bound them with chains. Now he's the one being led by the hand into Damascus. He goes on in verse 12. One Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Again, notice what he's doing. He's wise about who he's talking to. He's reminding them that Ananias, this devout man who will be part of God's way of bringing him to, uh, to Jesus, was a devout man according to the law. This was a law-keeping Jewish individual who, was, who, who cared about the law of Moses and saw a connection between the law of Moses and Jesus. Well spoken by all the Jews who lived there. Came to me, standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers, again, notice the connection back to the God of Israel, the God of our fathers, appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. Paul is recounting what Ananias told him. That God had a plan for Paul, and, and it was to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth. In other words, what Paul is describing is his personal encounter with Jesus, the righteous one. This is a reference to the fact that Jesus was, was perfect in, in righteousness. It, it's, it's a reminder that Jesus has been raised from the dead as vindication that his death was sufficient to pay for Paul's sin. And he is now seated at the right hand of God, the resurrected and ascended Lord, who's now speaking to Paul, who is confronting Paul. And then the words, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And then Ananias, why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. There's a sense in which he understands that what Paul needed to do, Saul at that point, but what Saul needed to do was to call on the name of Jesus. That by virtue of Jesus' death and resurrection, the fact that he's at the right hand of the Father, the righteous one, to trust him alone to save him from his sins, not to rely on his own law keeping, but to trust Christ alone and then to be, which would bring salvation to Saul and then to demonstrate that belief in Jesus by publicly being baptized. Which all of that symbolized the washing away of Paul's sins through the righteous one, through Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's interesting how Paul, in just a few sentences, descriptively uh, uh, provides this narration of what it was like to be confronted by God himself, by Jesus himself, as part of the way God uses to bring Saul, now Paul, to faith in himself. 
Now, I think some of you, you don't have that experience. You weren't on your way to Damascus. You didn't see a great light. You weren't thrown from your horse. You weren't led into the city. But the reality is, the way that God brings all of us to himself is massively and and, and clearly supernatural. It may not feel as supernatural. It may not be something you think, oh, let's make a movie of this. But it is no less supernatural. I, I think about this clearly a, a lot. Just I, I was a kid who didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. I was a bad kid. My parents would have never thought about homeschooling me. They sent me to school. I think they thought about sending me to boarding school, military school, but they didn't have a lot of those for six-year-olds at the time. But I will never forget sitting in a first grade Bible class and the teacher describing the story of Adam and Eve and how Adam and Eve disobeyed God and now they were separated from God and that there was no hope for them because they had violated God's command and now they're separated and they needed a way back forward. And then she went on to describe, you know, where where God had provided the, the animal skins to clothe Adam and Eve and that may have been a reference to the sacrifice that was made on their behalf, but all of that was pointing to Jesus. And I sat in that classroom and God opened my eyes up and I realized I'm in deep trouble because of my sin. I saw it. The disobedience, the lack of respect for my parents, the way I treated my sister. And I saw for the first time that I was a sinner in deep trouble, but that there was a God who had done something for me and my sin and the penalty that I deserved. And I saw it. And I remember coming up after class and said, I, she invited, you know, kid, if any kid wants to, I said, I, I, I need this, right? And she talked to me some more and she led me in a, in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ. And I was, I was forgiven. That is no less miraculous than what Saul, Paul describes here in his story. Can you describe that to someone? Can you put that into words where you can talk, here's my life before I came to Christ, here's how God brought me to himself and to explain it clearly, succinctly, to be a testimony to the supernatural work of God's grace and the spirit in your life. It's interesting, Paul is in deep trouble here. He's he's been arrested. He's got a mob of people coming after him. And what does he do? Simply describe in clear, simple words how God brought him to Jesus. What's your story? How did God bring you to himself? And of course, there may be some here this morning or someone online, maybe you've never really come to Christ, right? That part of your life has not been written. That part of your story hasn't been written. We'd love to talk to you more about this. We'd love to describe in more detail how you can experience the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ by putting your faith and confidence in Christ alone. To stop trusting your own goodness 
your own works, your own performance, and trust in Jesus who died in your place, was risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of God, who by the Spirit would love to open your heart up and bring you in, into a relationship with God through Jesus so that your sins are forgiven, not only now, but your future is completely secure. That's the second part of the story, Paul's story. And then there's a third part, my life after I trusted Jesus. We'll pick it back up in 16. He says, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Ananias, what's being described for Saul to Paul is to call on the name of Jesus, trust the resurrected Jesus to save you from your sin, and then to, in obedience, to let people know by being baptized, to publicly declare what God has already done for you in Jesus. And then Paul picks up the story. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, so Paul, Paul is recounting the story, he was in Damascus, God brought him to himself. He now comes to Jerusalem. He said he was praying in the temple. Again, Paul is wise. He's trying to say to these Jewish people, it's not that my Jewish faith is somehow a disconnect with Jesus. There's a continuity here. Once I had trusted Jesus, I went back to the temple to pray. He then goes on to say, I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. So God is telling him, Jesus is telling him, Paul, they're not going to accept your testimony. And, and, and Paul sort of understands this, verse 19. Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. It's kind of difficult to want to hear the gospel from somebody who was beating you know, Christians last week. Paul goes on to say, when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, this is the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And then Jesus says to him, God says to him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. What Paul is describing is, I, I once was a man who was persecuting God's, the followers of Jesus, I was zealous for the law. I was Jewish. I got great training for Gamaliel. Now God opened my heart and mind to see the risen and ascended Jesus who drew me to himself. I called on his name. My sins were forgiven and washed away. I obeyed the Lord in baptism, which was a public declaration of what you'd already done for me. And now I'm describing that now I have been called by God to go to the Gentiles to share this same message. And of course, he puts in these other details. It's kind of incredible. I've been called to go and share the message of Jesus when before I participated in the death and martyrdom of those very same believers. So Paul begins to let them know what life was like after he came to Jesus and that he has been sent to go to the Gentiles of Jesus to go send to the Gentiles to tell them about Jesus, his death and resurrection for them. Now again, I, you know, maybe we don't have a story we think is as good as Paul's, but if you truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's a supernatural story no matter how you slice it. 
And, 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 and when you talk about what Christ has done for you after you put your faith in Jesus, there, for all of us, there are tangible ways in which he has helped us. And that's the story we need to tell to people. I know my parents told lots of stories to other parents who had little crazy kids that were out of control. He said, after, after our son trusted Jesus, he was a lot better. I was, apparently. Did I still sin? Of course. Do I have a few other stories about disobedience? Yeah, I do. But my parents will say, I was different. I also know that I grew up in a, in a family where, where we were hypochondriacs, okay? My grandfather was a hypochondriac. He lived till he was 102. He was dying more than he was living. When he was 60, he, he basically, at 60, he told me goodbye. He says, I don't think I'm going to make it. 42 years later, he's still alive. But it was a lot of, we, we just were hypochondriacs. And any little health problem, ugh, COVID's really done a lot to cure us of all that. Not really, but... But I remember as a senior, and I'd been, been walking with the Lord for uh, a number of years. I broke my arm uh, in a plane uh, my senior year of high school. I was in the emergency room. They just x-rayed it. And I heard the, uh, the x-ray technician, this wasn't particularly professional, yelling to the other x hey, come in and see this football player's arm. Wow, it's unbelievable. Boy, we're going to have to take a lot of work to get that thing back together. And I'm like, oh, boy. Then the doctor comes in, the guy who's going to operate on my arm because I'd have to operate. He's on crutches. He's on crutches. I'm like, I don't want this guy. You know, hey, let me work on your, whoa, <laughs> you know. I think normally I would have been scared to death and been out of my mind that I had to have surgery. But I remember thinking to myself, you know, Okay, one other problem. My dad had asked me to read the book called Coma by Robin Cook. It's a story about people who went in for routine surgeries and didn't come out. They were harvesting their organs. It was not a pleasant read. So that was in my head a little bit. But I remember thinking to myself as they're wheeling me into surgery, my sins are forgiven. My relationship with God is completely secure because of Christ. If something were to happen, I would simply wake up in glory. How bad can that be? And I had peace. That's the change. One of the many changes, and of course there's many changes that still need to be made, that were made after I put my faith and confidence in Christ. And God's done that for you. And just as Paul shared in some sense, we need to be ready to share to other people, since I came to Christ, again, I'm not completely who I am going to be in the future, where I will be as righteous as Jesus, but God has done things in my life and be prepared to share that reality as a testimony to the greatness of the grace of God and the greatness of Jesus Christ. What do you need to be ready to articulate to your friends, your neighbors? The students you go to school with at your school, the people in your neighborhood, your peers, no matter what age, to be able to share and articulate your own personal narrative 
of what Christ has done for you since coming to faith in Christ. I think it is fascinating whereas Paul is facing an angry crowd who was after him, an angry crowd who was, who was calling for his demise. And his defense is simply a personal story in many ways of how God brought him to himself. Are you ready to share that kind of a story to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your peers? Now, in order to be a little bit honest, the response wasn't great. Verse 22. Up to this word they listened to him, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. That's what will happen to you if you share your testimony. Now, because he talks about he's going to go to the Gentiles, this Jewish crowd, it's too much for them. They don't see the continuity between the plan of God with the nation of Israel and the plan to take the gospel to the nations. They don't understand that Jesus has come to fulfill the law of God and then, and, 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 and to, and then to continue that mission through the multi-ethnic church of Jesus Christ. <coughs> And so it doesn't go too well. Now, Paul is going to survive this. He's going to tell the people uh, after he's beaten that he's a Roman citizen. And so he will be protected and, and continue to go through this long legal uh, defense through different leaders and eventually get to Rome. But I do wonder if sometimes we are scared to tell our story what we were like before Christ, what were the events that were God brought us to himself, and then what changed as a result of the grace of God in our life. We're concerned because we're not sure what kind of a response we would get. And what the text would tell us here is, so what? The issue is not what kind of a response you get. The issue is, are we going to be ready to defend sort of Jesus by telling the personal story of how we came to faith in him and what God did to deliver us from who we once were, how he brought us to himself, and then how he changes us. In some sense, you'll see over and over again throughout Paul's defense and prison uh, messages is that he often responds with simply telling the people, whether it's the leaders, whether it's the crowd in this case, whether it's Felix or Agrippa, he will simply tell, this is what God did for me. And he lets the chips fall where they may in the response. So I think the challenge for us, each of us, I'm going to take this in two different directions. Number one, for those of us who know Christ, I think it would be a nice little project today, this afternoon, is to work on your story. Try to describe in a few sentences, what was your life like before you came to Christ? Then what were the events? How did God orchestrate it so you could hear the gospel? And then what were the changes that God did for you that show that you are ready to give a personal narration of what God has done for you? And then pray that God would give you opportunities to share that with other people. 
And I think it's important to work on this a little bit. Some of you, if you start to tell the story of this, and you tell your whole life history, no one's going to listen to it after 10 minutes. And then I moved to, and then I went to this, and then I was... It's short. It's succinct. It's clear. It hits the highlights. Because I think what you're seeing with the Apostle Paul here is that in his defense of Jesus, part of what he does, and he'll do some other things throughout the rest of the book of Acts, which we'll see, but part of what he does is simply tell his own personal story, maps what Jesus has done to his story, and tells it. And I think we are being called to do the very same thing. Why? Well, Acts 1.8, we're called to be what? Witnesses. Witnesses to Jesus, his death, his resurrection, but witnesses of what he did in my life. And articulate that. Now, please, don't make up stories. You don't have to be a drug kingpin. You don't need that story. I mean, if you were, that's interesting. Tell me about it. doesn't have to be flashy, but it needs to be true. What happened to you? And then be ready to share the glory of the gospel of Jesus. That's one application. The second application is there may be someone here online or here in the service today, and you've never put your faith and confidence in Christ, and you're, you're open to dialoguing about that. I want to encourage you to talk to me. Talk to someone next to you who brought you to church. Talk to us. We would love to walk you through, enter into a discussion, a dialogue, to help you understand more clearly who this Jesus is. That transformed the Apostle Paul's life, but he's transformed each of our lives in supernatural ways. So I hope you would talk to me after the service. Love to connect you with some folks. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge of uh, Paul's defense here. I pray for those of us who have been supernaturally changed by the power of the gospel that you would help us in our own way with our own story. Be prepared in a reasonably succinct manner to be able to articulate, to defend what Christ has done in our life by sharing our story of where we were before Christ, what happened to bring us to Christ, and what are the changes Christ has made in our life so that we could share with our friends, our neighbors, our classmates, our co-workers in a simple, clear, personal manner. And Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share that story with those around us and that we would not be so worried about how the response will be, but that we'll be more concerned with obeying the Lord's command that we are witnesses of Jesus to those around us. Be with us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.